heading into their game against Purdue on November 18, 1995, Northwestern was undefeated in conference play. It was their final Big Ten game of the year, and what a year it had been for the Wildcats. The Cats started the season as four touchdown underdogs against Notre Dame, and won. They played top 10 Michigan at the Big House in Ann Arbor as underdogs, and won. They played ranked Wisconsin and Penn State squads and beat both teams by multiple scores. Purdue was the Cats' last regular season test before heading to a bowl game, their first in nearly 50 years. It wasn't going to be easy. Northwestern was without locker room leader and kicker Sam Valenzisi and one of the best defensive players in the country, linebacker Pat Fitzgerald. But the message was simple for the Wildcats. Win this game, win the Big Ten. Take the purple to Pasadena. Accomplish the goals of head coach Gary Barnett, the rest of his staff, and every single player on the team. No, the nerves, the nerves were gone. It, it, would have, it, it was my first official start, but there was so much on the line. This is linebacker Don Holmes, who filled in for Fitzgerald after the future coach got hurt in the game against Iowa. You know, I came from high school being uh, the, the, the captain of the team, and so it, 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 excitement, anxiety, an opportunity to seal the Big Ten championship against one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. The team had the motivation, but translating that to the on-field product is easier said than done. As a team, we did a phenomenal job. Mac is a middle linebacker mm -hmm. to know that you're going to be responsible for stopping, stopping Mike Allstott all game. I, man, I'm getting charged right now just thinking about it. Bet in the hole several times, and I got the best of him many times. I think he probably got me once or twice. Um, he ended up breaking his rushing record, but he only needed a few yards to do so, and he didn't break the record until like the third or fourth quarter. So as a defense, we felt like we did our job. Um, I remember Chris Martin running a, was it a fumble, running a fumble back for a touchdown. I think that happened that game. Um, I remember my stats, 12 tackles, an assist, and a sack. Northwestern concluded its almost perfect season up until that point with an almost perfect game, a comfortable 23-8 win over the Boilermakers, and the perennial cellar dwellers were guaranteed to win at least a share of the Big Ten title. Here's star wide receiver Dwayne Bates, who had a long catch and run touchdown in the game. You know, we can only control what we can't control, and right, we knew this was not going to be easy, but we were so dialed in. Uh, it's one of those things you can see the finish line. Uh, you're going to dig deep, and, and I think we we all collectively dug deep on that night. It wasn't over yet. Despite a lack of historical success, one of the Wildcats' mottos was expect victory. No one else might have thought the Cats would go this far except the team itself. The Cats' goals weren't just a perfect conference record or a share of the Big Ten title. They wanted respect. They wanted the granddaddy of them all. They wanted the Rose Bowl. Standing in their way, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the only other undefeated team in Big Ten Conference play.
After Northwestern's game wrapped up, they needed help from an earlier foe, Michigan. Some might have questioned Michigan's motivations in helping the team that essentially ruined its own shot at a Rose Bowl berth. But the animosity shown in the game needs no introduction. Michigan wanted Ohio State blood, and Northwestern fans were all for it. Northwestern players gathered around a television in the team room at the Nicolette Football Center. Quarterback Steve Schnurr stayed at his home in St. Louis and had a broadcast crew watching him watch the game. Holmes went to watch the game with his fiancée. Wide receiver Toussaint Waterman had to stay in West Lafayette because of an injury, so he saw the game from Indiana. Watch parties engulfed all of Evanston. Ohio State started the game with a three-point lead, but it didn't last. Michigan never trailed after tailback Clarence Williams' touchdown catch with around five minutes left in the first. At one point, the Wolverines were up by 16, and they held on after that for a 31-23 win. Cheers erupted on Central Street. Hugs, tears, screaming, high fives, fist bumps, and roses everywhere. The expectation of heading to the Arroyo Seco did nothing to dampen the celebration when it finally happened. The team was overjoyed. For many players, it was like a dream come true. Cars honked in the streets, and roses were placed on the doorsteps of Barnett and Schnur. The commitment of Cats fans in these times is often questioned, but there was no doubt how much they were behind this 95 team. But the Wildcats still needed one more win. The story of Northwestern football that year was one of a glass slipper. It's been called one of the greatest underdog stories of its time. It united a community often against Northwestern football in ruckus support of the Wildcats. Now, the work of everyone in the organization could be validated in one game on New Year's Day, which famed broadcaster Keith Jackson put perfectly. As it is called the Cinderella story. Well, we've had all the romance. Now let's find out if she can dance. I'm Mac Jones, and this is the Field of Broken Dreams. Hypocritical, violent, drunken altercations, people staggering into their car. A 90s renovation ought to be pretty workable. Ryan Fields is terrible. Sort of like white privilege. I, I truly don't believe Northwestern. ABC Sports College Football presents 
The 50th Rose Bowl game matching the Big Ten and the Pac-10. The Southern California Trojans and the Northwestern Wildcats. Purple and white everywhere in the Arroyo Seco. And theirs is a very special story. At the start of every sporting event in the country, the national anthem plays in honor of those who have fought and sacrificed for us. The sound of it is synonymous with sports. And on January 1st, 1996, they filled the Rose Bowl for the 82nd time. Big Ten Pac-10, Northwestern USC. And offensive lineman Paul Janis was absorbing every second of it. You know, the minute the national anthem, you know, kicks off, you know, you, you know, you want to run through a, through a, a brick wall. You know, you feel it from, <laughs> from the tip of your toes to, you know, to, to your head. And, and it's always, I still get just worked up. I'm ready to go. But, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the, you know, looking over the mountains, you know, the Rose Bowl, you know, just such history, so many players and teams that have played there. So the warm sun shines down on the old oval in the city of Pasadena as the University of Southern California marching band directed by Arthur Bartner is out in the center of the stadium rearranging their formation now to present our national anthem. Motion marching band under the direction of Dr. Arthur C. Bartner. Not only did the anthem get the players into the game, but it got the 100,102 fans in the stands raring to go too. Northwestern wasn't worried though. 
They'd been in situations like this all season. When the Wildcats played the Wolverines in the Big House in early October, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone predicting a Northwestern win. Michigan was ranked number seven with two top 25 wins, and they hadn't yet lost a game. Quality of the team aside, Michigan has one of the best home field advantages in all of college football, since Michigan Stadium seats 107,000. It's intimidating to play in front of 100,000 hostile fans, so even if Michigan had a down year, the Wolverines would likely still be heavily favored at home against Northwestern. Gary Barnett and a resurgent Northwestern team, 3-1, the first time they've had a 3-1 record since 1963. And you can see the last time they won at Michigan, Elvis was just starting to swivel his hips. All these things meant that maybe the only people expecting a Northwestern victory were, again, themselves. Just like, you know, you some of the slogans expect victory. Well, you know, it wasn't hope for victory. It wasn't the attempt, you know, feel good with, you know, a, a moral win. What are you going to do to to make sure that that happens? You know, whether you're a scouting player uh, preparing, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the number one squad, um, everyone, everyone was part of the piece of the puzzle. That was Janice again, and the team had a special way of preparing to play there that increased their confidence too. It was all down to Coach Barnett. Coach was a you know, big into visualization. We would watch um, you know, uh, videos of the big house. We would listen to the victors being played constantly. We would see the fans. We would, you know, um, you put us into that, those situations where when you get to the game, it was no big deal. Barnett was a very psychological coach. In the week leading up to the game, he brought loudspeakers to practice and turned them past 10 with crowd noise. Every play, every drill, every break in the action. It was loud for hours. Many of the players hadn't played in Ann Arbor, so they didn't know how loud it got. But after that week, they had an inkling. Holmes and the rest of the team needed to adapt, and they used that week to do it. When we actually got um, into the fight with Michigan, outside of seeing the people that we hadn't seen, the noise wasn't a factor. We already knew, you know, you have to raise your voice. If you can't raise your voice, sign language, you know, but just make sure that you're able to communicate. And so it really prepared us for that environment and just driving up to Michigan Stadium and our bus, there's so much blue and gold, so many people outside. I just remember being inundated by, oh my God, look at all these people. We've got work to do. And uh, it was an exciting environment to play. And I think that my teammates kind of capitalized. Northwestern and Michigan started the game in a quintessential Big Ten battle. Northwestern needed big play from its defense late and DB Eric Collier stepped up. So they kept, they were doing a play, and it was like, you know, like a deep curl. Can I, you know, get under that and out the corner? And boom, interception. 
I also called up my own uh, punt fake, <laughs> uh, you know, like, and I, apparently I could have scored, but I, I got hadn't ran the ball in almost a year. A knee for Schnur, and Schnur who came back from being banged up early in the game. Gary Barnett's 25th-ranked Wildcats will move up in the national polls. They go to 4-1. and one. They have beaten the Michigan Wolverines in Ann Arbor. And how about what he said to his players? I don't want any Gatorade, and I don't want to be carried off. We think we can win the football game. Let's act like we expected to win. He's still dry, and he's still on his feet. <laughs> and boy, this Northwestern program is on its feet. Final score, Northwestern 19, Michigan 13, in an upset from the Big House. The Wildcats came out with a 19-13 victory, paying off the week of year-splitting practices. The Rose Bowl should have been a home game for USC, too. The Trojans' campus and the stadium were only about 15 miles from each other. Things were shaping up to be another Michigan game in terms of decibels. But Northwestern supporters filled at least half of the stadium. And some reports say it was even two-thirds. They were, at that moment, America's team. Kickoff. Keyshawn Johnson and Chris Miller are going to return this opening kickoff. One or the other if Ryan Goins can knock it down there to them. Ryan is the young man from Birmingham, Alabama, wearing the purple of Northwestern, and he hits it solid and drives it a yard deep into the end zone to Johnson. The great wide receiver from USC is taken down at the 17-yard line. USC opened up the game with Brad Otten at quarterback. The Trojans had a two-QB system and intended to start the game with Otten before moving on to Kyle Watchels. They would flip for the rest of the game unless one got going early. Otten didn't just start hot. He started on fire. On third and four, he completed to a target called a lot for the rest of the game. Keyshawn Johnson. Seven-yard catch. First down. Next play, Otten escaped the pocket with no contain set up. He had all the time in the world to fire a 30-yard shot to Johnson. The coverage wasn't bad, but the connection between QB and wide receiver was impeccable. Caught. First down. Otten started the game 6 of 6 for 82 yards, most of them to Johnson. The run game was getting stuffed by Holmes, who tried to set the tone with a TFL on the first play of the game. But it didn't matter. I missed the initial tackle, but I kept hold of his jersey. And then just to see Eric coming over the pile, making that play, that stands out to me because for me, that play set the tone like that's how I used to play in high school. They couldn't stop my blitzes. Be able to do this on the Rose Bowl field and just kind of get through. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a, a fun game. I also remember a play where. Um, they faked, they did a fake, we're on the goal line, they do a fake handoff to the running back, similar to that Michigan player. And so I met him in the air too. I'm like, yeah, I stopped him. No, but it was a fake, they didn't give him the ball. 
USC scored on that last play Holmes talked about. It was one of few first drive touchdowns the Northwestern defense had allowed all season. With the quality of USC's offense, Northwestern needed a solid response to prevent the game from getting out of hand. All year, Northwestern had relied on its run game. While the pass wasn't bad, running back Darnell Autry was better. The Cats started the offensive series with a handoff to Autry, who only got a couple. Most of the run plays on that drive got stuffed. So Northwestern then turned to its own dynamic receiver, Bates. We went to our usual pound the rock. A couple play actions. I mean, we made a couple plays in the passing game. Uh, to continue to move the chains, you know, we just want to get a first down, get in the first, down, get into that flow, let our linemen kind of figure out how we're going to dominate the O line, D line matchup, you know, she was going to figure out how we can create some mismatches and then let Snur do his magic he's done all season. There were six minutes and 46 seconds left in the first. It was second and nine, right after a run play. Barnett lined up a play-action shot. I think I might have had some crazy one-hand grab. Um, I'm sure today when I look at that, how the heck I caught that. Bates caught a dart from Schnurr with his left hand on a slant. He spun and lost the last defender on him, now freed the run for yards after the catch. You know, unfortunately got caught at the three-yard line, and then I was the other man, 24, ran in there for a touchdown, so... You know that was a that was a response, and we kind of knew like, okay, we're we're good now, right? Mm-hmm. We're good. Tied the game up, zero. Let's start. Oh, we started slow. Now let's finish the way we finished all season. Momentum had shifted in favor of the Wildcats, and the Trojans were reeling from the sudden smash mouth to West Coast offensive shift. The next USC drive was over quickly, ending with a home sack. Otten limped off the field as John Stonehouse punted the ball back to Northwestern. The Wildcats' second drive started with a good gain from Autry. Both teams had settled into the game, but Northwestern was passing the ball more than they had all season. It didn't work. Schneider went two for five on the drive, but when it got to fourth and two, the Cats showed they would go for it with an Autry run. Delay of game and illegal procedure penalties pushed them back, and stopped any thoughts of converting. Back-to-back punts for both teams. USC had 127 pass yards and negative 16 rush yards at that moment. During this drive, they started running the ball better with DeLon Washington, which forced the Cats to be more honest on defense. In turn, the passing game opened up for the Trojans even more than it already was. That's right, it's a nice city. 21-yard line, first down. Got all day, now throws, man wide open, touchdown, Terry Barnum. He got lost in the band. Well, here's Barnum right here as I draw this circle right here. He's going to go down the sideline. The tight end is going to go down the middle, but he loses sight of him. Barnum is going to clear right 
right now he's going to come open and the quarterback comes off of him then he scrambles a little bit sees him again and a nice catch by Barnum Trojan band is, is forming down there and in that corner and I think he kind of got lost in all the colors yeah. he finally found him and the kick is good it was another chance for Northwestern to respond but they couldn't after a missed field goal by backup Brian Goins the next USC drive led to a field goal and 10-point lead with 3.29 left in the first half. The situation wasn't ideal for Northwestern, but a comeback wasn't out of the question. That is, until the Wildcats completely unraveled. It was third and five. Schnurr passed to Brian Musso on a slant, ran right past the 50 for a first down and a big game. And then he fumbled. Thrown into the hands of Brian Musso, and he fumbles as he goes down. It's picked up by the Trojans, and on the way is Dalen McCutcheon, and it's touchdown for the freshman. Twenty-four-seven in USC's favor. Northwestern got the ball back, but went three and out. The Wildcats were reverting to their old ways, the 34 straight losses from 79 to 82, the decades of not making a bowl game. The team needed to dig deep. They'd worked too hard for too long to give up now, down three scores with a half left to go. Earlier the previous summer, the football team at Northwestern University had undergone one of the most brutal practices anyone on the team ever had or has had since. And with the 1995 heat wave in Chicago, one of the worst on record, the Wildcats were training and training hard. Mount Trashmore, an Evanston sledding staple and probably the tallest point in Illinois, was landfill before being converted into a 65-foot hill in James Park. During the summer, it was the home of Northwestern football and Dwayne Bates. Our strength and conditioning coach at the time, uh, Coach Larry Lilger, had this brilliant idea that we would drive to the south part of Evanston. And I've never, at that point, I didn't know what Mount Trashmore was. <laughs> Pull up uh, in our cars and I'm like, what, what is this? And I see all the upperclassmen looking at me like, you're going to find out. And so, yeah, it was like 95, probably well over 100 with the heat index and the and uh, that was probably one of the hardest workouts I think I personally have ever been through. And I probably could speak for a lot of my teammates. Barnett forced all the players to sprint up trash more, over and over, all day. Every Evanston resident who's gone sledding on that hill knows how difficult it is to walk up there, let alone sprint. Everyone was suffering including Janice. We're out there running this <laughs> trash work, and Coach Lilja would have a Rose Bowl sign at the top, and we would run up it, and you had, you know, you saw this sign of Rose Bowl, and you get that, and you're racing up, and you're cramping up, coming down, laying there, and and it was just, you know, fighting through being uncomfortable. You know, obviously yourself a better athlete. It was intense. Here's Waterman. 
but I remember like work. I mean, we went so hard that I remember driving home after that workout. I remember like just like my vision getting like foggy as I was driving, um, and having to pull over the car because I couldn't, you know, couldn't couldn't keep driving. Mm. That was like one of the one workouts where it's just like you know, some of the toughest work that we did. The workout broke down the players, but it mentally bonded them in a way that had probably never been done before that moment. The Wildcats were struggling in the Rose Bowl, but they had climbed their mound trash more and now could come down full speed. The Northwestern defense forced a fumble with 12 seconds left deep in USC territory. The Cats capitalized with a field goal cutting the lead to 14, and they would get the ball back to start the second half. In an instant, the stadium went from demoralized to louder than Death Valley. At halftime, Northwestern was down 24-10. They'd built up momentum, but needed to sustain it and not lose focus. During the same summer as the Trashmore workouts, the Wildcats went to Camp Kenosha, a training camp around an hour north of Evanston, and as difficult as any. But one of the most important moments from Camp Kenosha wasn't the workouts. It didn't involve athleticism at all. This is Holmes. Barnett was a phenomenal, uh, inspirational speaker himself, but he brought a guy named Steve Musso over to us in Kenosha. I don't know if you could envision this, but he had the whole team sit in a room one day and envision the whole 95-96 season start to finish and walked us through potentially winning a national championship and asked us, now, how do you feel right now? I don't know if any other players would tell you that, but that exercise right there kind of, it gives me butterflies thinking about it. I remember my uh, teammate, Ryan Patchett, Steve mm-hmm. Mucho asked him, so how do you feel? You guys just, you guys just won the Big Ten. How do you feel? And Ryan's, was, <laughs> Ryan's response was, I don't know. I'm excited. I coached my goal. Everything that Northwestern visualized up until that moment had come to pass. All they needed now was the Rose Bowl. With the Northwestern University Wildcat marching band driving up its halftime performance, it was time to finish making the vision a reality. Western started the second half on point in a no-hill offense. They got the ball down to the nine-yard line, but couldn't punch it in and had to settle for a field goal. Then, there came a choice. They could do a regular kickoff and give possession to the Trojans' offense, which, remember, had been on fire in the game. Or, they could do an onside kick and risk field position for the ball back. They had a choice on September 17, 1995, too. That was the day after Northwestern had lost in its second game of the season to Miami of Ohio. The Wildcats were coming off the big win at Notre Dame and completely overlooked the Red Hawks. Northwestern had a big lead going into the second half, 
and completely blew it. Cat's Rose Bowl challenge could have been over before it even began, according to Waterman. So, you know, you're, you're at this point where you go from, like, the highest of high to, like, the low, you know, a, a low, and then you're just kind of doubting, like, okay, maybe did we get lucky? Did we, like, are we kind of still, are we not as good as, you know, we, we thought we were? Like, it's kind of, kind of doubting and questioning. And then I think the main thing is, like, we're just tired of losing. And I think that was just kind of one thing that kind of drove everybody and we're trying to be tired of being like the old Northwestern. And I think just getting a taste of that again, or, you know, Miami of Ohio giving us a taste of that, it realized, you know, you just kind of reach this kind of point where it's just like a fork in the road. From that Miami of Ohio game until the Rose Bowl, Northwestern rattled off nine straight wins. There's two different teams showed up, like, you know, this team, this team that beat Notre Dame and then this team that lost to Miami of Ohio. So again, to like establishing our identity and like, like deciding what you want to be all about. Like, you know, which, so it's like, which team are we going to be? If they were the team that lost to Miami of Ohio in the first half, they needed to be the team that beat Notre Dame in the second. So Northwestern took the risk and decided to do the onside kick. The team lined up like a normal kickoff, and USC bought it completely. Goins doinked it just past the 10 yards it needed, and the Wildcats fell on it. The play was perfectly executed. Northwestern ball. The Wildcats were driving in classic Big Ten fashion, returning to the run-first offense that had previously served them so well. Hand off Autry, hand off Autry, play action, hand off Matt Hart. But it was the Hartle carry that hurt them the most. The play went for a few yards, but senior guard Ryan Padgett, who was on the All-Big Ten team, went down injured. The Northwestern Wildcats had only lost one game on the year, and were about to lose a fantastic player for much of the rest of this one. But in reality, the team had lost much more. Over the previous offseason, most players stayed in Evanston to train. One player who didn't was Marcel Price. Price had started the summer with the team and was one of the best recruited players from his class. He was a natural athlete. But he got homesick and went to Nashville for a week to be with his friends and family. Price and some of his friends were hanging out, just messing around, and someone decided to start playing with a gun. Thinking the chamber was empty, he pointed the gun at Price and pulled the trigger. Price, who redshirted freshman year and hadn't yet played it down, never returned to Evanston. The team was devastated especially Collier. I was supposed to be my roommate um, my junior year, whatever, the year going into the Rose Bowl would have been his mm -hmm. sophomore year. He had worked something out the year before. So my freshman year, I lived at uh, Bob McCullough, I think on the McCullough side. Uh, 
sophomore year, I had a friend, Steve Yeager, who played baseball. Like, all right, you know, because the baseball players show up early. You know, so whatever, I took a shine to him. We got to be real good friends. And I was like, all right, next year, we'll just room together. I said, whatever you do, though, I'm not joining a fraternity. He's pretty, I'm out. And so he ended up um, <clears throat> joining the fraternity. And I was like, dude, I guess I'm going to get a new roommate. He's like, talk to him, and they're going to let you stay in the frat, um, but you have to join. And so I was like, okay. So Sai you, you know, I, I, I got to do all this stuff, but I wasn't a part of the fraternity. Um, and so that next year I was like, all right, I'm going to get my own room. Marseille. So it's going to be two non-frat guys living mm-hmm. inside. And uh, I remember, you know, it was, it was getting close to time to go back to camp. And I came home and my mom said, hey, you got a phone call. Marcel's. And, uh, yeah. The team chartered a jet for everyone to go down and visit. Barnett and some of the captains organized the meeting. There, they decided to honor Price with patches on their jerseys, reading Big Six in honor of his number. I think it was like, how are we going to carry Marcel with us into this season? And we wore that, and we wore it the entire time I was there. Whenever a close play went Northwestern's way that season, the Wildcats said it was Marcel making it happen. This entire Northwestern drive could have been down to price. With USC beginning to make some of the mistakes that the Wildcats were in the first half, an opportunity opened up to bully them on the ground. It's Janus dictating play. Darnell ran around the edge. I had, you know, where I was getting the edge contained. Got the guy locked up and, and uh, pancaked him. And then I saw out of the corner of my eye Darnell run past and score. With another Northwestern touchdown, the lead was down to five. The Trojans hadn't had the ball yet in the second half. And this time, no trickery would prevent them from possessing it. Chris Miller returned the kickoff and got leveled at the 20-yard line. Otten, who was still in at QB, would have to lead USC 80 yards to try and swing the pendulum the other way. Of course, that's a lot easier when you have Sean Johnson on your team. Johnson took over that drive. He was already over 100 yards on the day. While Collier wasn't tasked with covering Johnson as a strong safety, he still had to deal with him. He was, you know, he, he was he was what became the prototype NFL wide receiver. I mean, like, he was that first guy, you know, with, with maybe like a Michael Irvin before him, what the NFL evolved to, you know, again, taller, bigger, taller, taller stronger, and faster. USC had the ball close to midfield on a third and 11. Make the stop here, and Northwestern could take the lead on their next drive. Wildcats were in a zone defense, and Johnson was running a slant. Otten saw the Northwestern coverage and recognized how little help there was over the top. He threw to Johnson and took off. No one was back. 
Panthers going for a 56-yard score. I have people tell me this all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. I watched Rose Bowl and Keyshawn torched you. And I was like, torched me? I didn't give up on that play because there's a, you know, I'm, I'm the only one still chasing him. We, we were using Hudefa, you know, double team on the inside. Um, you know, but, you know, the guy, you know, Keyshawn, give me the goddamn ball Johnson, you know, and, and I think he broke the, the record for the Rose Bowl game. It was Johnson's 10th catch for 199 yards, a record already in only three quarters. Northwestern needed to be persistent. Five points, and all they have to do is stop Deshaun Johnson. I mean, they want to put... Easier said than done, but this team had embraced tenacity in every game. Holmes, who backed up Fitzgerald for most of the season, knew the benefits of never giving up as much as anyone. Coach Barnett, one day in the summer, hosted a meeting, team meeting, and we were trying to decide what we were going to stand for for this 95-96 school year. And Mike Sinners, actually, um, he used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think he was probably three years older than me. Mike Sinners <laughs> actually came up with us using an acronym. And I, if I remember correctly, Coach Barnett was like, yeah, I like that idea. So what acronym would you guys use? And the ART. So I think the, uh, it may have been Will Bennett. Did Will Bennett or – Rob Johnson that may have come up with the word, or it might have been centers, relentless. And so Coach Barnett was like, okay, well, what does relentless mean to you? So we went around the room and talked about what a relentless effort meant, right, that this team would look like. And everybody kind of agreed to that. And so ART meant a relentless team. The Wildcats put the letters ART on T-shirts and drilled what it stood for into the minds of every player. And at that moment, those words needed to be put to good use. The kickoff was deep inside the end zone. But Ife's mail, he returned it close to the 30. Another good return in what was becoming a day of them for the defensive back. Earlier that year, Barnett had been named Coach of the Year for his efforts in building the Northwestern Wildcats into contenders. His next play call was why. It was first and ten. It's exactly six minutes left in the third quarter. Northwestern had come back into it, but still hadn't led all game. Time was running out. The Wildcats needed a big chunk play to control their destiny. They turned to Bates for it. You know, one particular play we did, I think it was um, a double fake reverse. Hail Mary type pass, you know. We had worked on that. We had worked on that all year, believe it or not. It was like one of those trick plays you work on just in case you're going to call it. And I remember going to Cuddle, and I came out, and I remember, like, we're about to call that playoff. Because <laughs> we knew early in the downs, USC was creeping up, right? Because Dr. Naughtry, they were going to they were gonna, they were focused on stopping our run game. They were going to make us beat them over the top, right? That was their defensive strategy. So when Fire called a play and then Steve read out in the front, I was like, man, we've been working on this play all year. I mean, a, a lot has to happen. Got to have great protection up front. Uh, you got to sell the uh, sell the first fake to Darnell and then reverse fake to Bees. You got to make the defense think it's a reverse. 
But Bates had been too good in the game up until that point for USC to ignore him. While I can creep down the field. So everything looked great on paper when we ran it. The problem is the safety didn't bite. So and down the field, I was double-covered, safety in the corner. I'm thinking, like, Snurr is not going to throw this pass because I got two people on me. And sure enough, Steve throws the ball. Nice mm-hmm. heave, about 50, 60 yards. And it was just one of those, like, listen, based on where we're at, based on what's needed, I got to make a play. So I just jumped up. Some kind of way was able to go over two defenders and come down. Bates miraculously caught the ball. Then a flag came out for roughing the passer, which turned an already huge gain into a massive one. Most remember the game for Johnson's performance, but Bates was matching him stride for stride. At that point, he had six catches for 134 yards, on pace for the record if it wasn't for Johnson. The Cats punched it in a few plays later on a Schnurr QB sneak from what felt like the one-inch line. The kick was good, and just like that, Johnson touchdown had been erased. The lead was back down to five. The next drive for USC was a disaster for the Trojans. It started with a hold, then an illegal touching call. They were pushed back to their own five when on handed off to Woods, who got stuffed. The Northwestern defense was hyped up. An incomplete pass on the next play sealed the three and out stop. USC had to punt it out of their own end zone. The Rose Bowl was rocking. And now to the punctuation period of what has been to this juncture one of the great stories in recent college football history. The turnaround of fortune at Northwestern University. They're trailing by five points, 31-26. They own the football, second down and nine at the Southern California 37-yard line as we begin the final quarter. Schneer back, a little quick pop, good for the first down. It's Musso, Brian Musso, pounding his way inside the 15 and finally thrown down at the 13. a wide receiver screen. Musso is going to come in motion across the formation. Now watch as all the offensive linemen in purple shirts are going to show up. Look at this. It's a little screen. At 61 is Chavit. Now watch as he holds on to the ball here. That's Phillips who misses a tackle. Heron misses a tackle. Now he's holding on to the ball right there. The fumble that he had earlier. Not this time. And it's first down, Northwestern at the Southern California 14-yard line. And a big play behind the line of scrimmage by Darrell Russell as he takes Darnell Autry down back at the 17. Darrell Russell has been a force in this conference ever since he came in to USC last year as a freshman. As I mentioned, six starts last year, 340 pounds. And just a bait. 320. Well, he may have had he may have had his pregame meal. But just a babe, he's only a sophomore. <laughs> Big frame, 6'4. Second down and 13. Schnurr throws hard. Pass is incomplete. It was intended for Bates. Incomplete. We go to 20. 
Well, Keith Jackson, Northwestern, everyone keeps thinking that here's a football team that just wants to stay close. But throughout their 10-game winning streak, they have only been behind two times going into the third quarter against Michigan and against Illinois. By, excuse me, going into the fourth quarter against Michigan and Illinois. They keep continue just to put pressure on people. John Robinson told me early in this day what he wanted to do was get on top of this ball club and not to keep it close. Right now, they're threatening to score another touchdown. Keith? Well, SC's made the mistakes that got him in this race. Third down and a good 13. There they go with Autry. Darnell Autry inside the 10 to the 9. Penalty flag goes down. You may have a face mask. Yep. So USC really shooting themselves in the old foot. Nice call on third down. Yanni is up, up, uh, up the field on his pass rush. Little draw play. There's the face mask right there. Got Phillips got his hand off of it, but. Phillips missed the tackle a little bit earlier, and this time he used the face mask to bring him down. Yeah, if Yanni got up the field when he was right out of the play, that just went right inside of him. Here's a look at the third quarter, what went on in the third quarter. Total yards, 164 for the Wildcats, uh, the Trojans, 92. 56 of that was on one play. Time of possession, big in favor of the Wildcats. USC has had seven penalties in this half. Well, that helps an offense. Third down and one, and uh, just inside the five, it goes to Darnell Autry, and he pounds his way in there for the first down. It'll be a first and goal for the Wildcats. First and goal from about the two for the Wildcats, and Autry punched it up the gut for his third touchdown of the game. Northwestern took the lead for the first time in the fourth quarter. The Cats didn't get the two-point conversion, but were in control regardless. USC started their ninth drive with 13 minutes left in the game. Down by one point. Otten threw the ball quickly, but got batted down by Holmes. That huge game. We dominated them in the run game. Like, I don't think they got over 50 yards. But but I guess if you're passing for 400 plus, you probably don't need to, you don't need to run. USC had 368 passing yards, but only 10 on the ground. Northwestern's defense did what they did best and stopped the run, but they weren't able to stop Otten and Johnson. USC got it to 3rd and 10 from the 40, and Johnson got just enough for the first down. Coverage was good by Ismaili, but not good enough to stop Johnson's 11th catch and 210th yard. Eventually, though, the Cats' defense came up with a stop, forcing USC to kick a 46-yard field goal from the right hash. They hit it. Kicker Adam Abrams' longest ever. Abrams' kickoff went down to the one, and Ismaili was going to have a tough time turning nothing into something. He pulled it off, bringing the ball out to the 38-yard line, but a personal foul on Northwestern brought it back to be first and 25. Those were the kind of plays that the Wildcats got away from in the third, but they returned at one of the least opportune moments. Northwestern had scored every time they had the ball in the second half. And it was going to be difficult with their field position, but they were still only down by two. With Autry averaging 32 carries a game, it was within reason they could run out the clock and kick the game-winning field goal as time expired. 
Schnur completed a pass to Bates. Seven catch for 145 yards. Throw for throw, stride for stride. Northwestern was doing their best to match the quality of the best offense in the Pac-10. Play action on second down. Schnur rolled out to his right and on the run, tried to go across the field to a wide open receiver. Ball was overthrown. Badly. Schnur's pass intercepted. Carrying it is Jesse Davis. Down to the Northwestern 30-yard line. Schnur had his man, but on the run, couldn't deliver the ball. USC scored a touchdown with excellent field position, but they did it quickly. They were up, but there was still around three minutes left. Northwestern would get the ball back, and they'd already converted one onside kick. The squibbles returned just beyond the 40. Field position was in the Wildcats' favor. First and 10, Schnur's pass was incomplete off the hands of Beasley. Second and 10, Schnur's sack. Third and 10, he scrambles for the first down, and a check down to Autry got around six yards. 2.09 left to play. Northwestern goes no huddle on third and one. Schnur pump fakes and gets almost everyone, but the ball, intended for Autry sandwiched between two defenders, fell to the ground incomplete. There's no question that the Wildcats are going for it. An Autry handoff's enough for the first down, but the clock kept running. Next play is a pass to Autry, who got five yards, but couldn't quite make it out of bounds. So it's second and five from the 26. Time ticking down. Second down and five. Darnell Autry comes out for a little rest, and Adrian Autry replaces him. And Schnur back. Goes down the middle, and then goes the other way. He looked down the middle the whole time and then came back to Bates. Bates made the catch, but there's a penalty flag back up on the 33-yard line. Hold the phone. It's against Northwestern. Take a look at offensive line. Number 78 is Cardos right here on the outside. He got, he got his arm out there. Northwestern still only needs a field goal, and then they can get the onside kick and score on the next possession. There's still time. The 49-yard tries up. Doinked. Off the upright. Barnett looks like he wants to cry. There's 35 seconds left. Northwestern has no timeouts. USC just needs to take a knee. That does it. Final score, USC 41, Northwestern 32. You can say the field of broken dreams of the Northwestern Wildcats. Incredible season. 
comes crashing down a bit as they lose 41-32 to the Southern Cal Trojans. Keyshawn Johnson, the MVP, was absolutely incredible. But Darnell Autry with three touchdowns, nearly matching that performance. And I spoke to him just a few minutes ago. It was 40 degrees on October 21st, 1995, the day of Northwestern's homecoming game against the Wisconsin Badgers. Winds cut through Dyke Stadium, and low, dark gray clouds made rain feel inevitable. A sharp whistle from wind gusts fell between the metronomic drip drop of rain as the Wildcats made their last preparations for the Badgers in their steel cage of a locker room. Any jitters were more likely to have been caused by the cold rather than the occasion. The sky was spinning on Northwestern as much as the college football community had been, but the driving rain was no fluke. Water puddled inside the still empty stadium. The beating rain sounded like a snare drum on the bleachers, and metallic clanging could be heard more than almost any crowd. A gray veil cascaded over the structure, bringing emptiness to the formerly colorful field. Fog replaced dashes of purple and beige with silver. Intermittent sleet at least brought variation to the whipping rain. Around 90 minutes before kickoff, the gates opened, and raincoats flooded the stadium. Fans brought in the earthy smell of rain and mud. Character returned to the field, and so did noise. The lifeless, desolate stadium turned into a sea of purple as the sellout crowd of Northwestern fans stood for their team. Evanston's team. That was like a really special year. That whole, you know, series of of wins uh, was just incredible. I wish I was there in 1995. Probably one of the best decisions I ever made was coming Northwestern. Forever and always. But since, it's been a field of broken dreams in more ways than one. That's next time. The Field of Broken Dreams is a podcast from the Evanstonian, the student newspaper at Evanston Township High School. It's advised by John Phillips, with executive editors Jillian Denlow, Claire Gustafson, and Sophia Sherman. The Field of Broken Dreams is reported and produced by me, Mac Jones, with help from Isaac Suarez Flint. Our theme music is by Sam Purcell. The final mix of this episode was done by me. 
We have eight more episodes coming. You'll be able to find them all on our website, evanstonian.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more stories about Northwestern and other events pertaining to Evanston there too. Again, it's evanstonian.net. Special thanks to everyone interviewed, ESPN, and ABC Sports.